figuring out who we are, what we want to do, who we are is not easy. And it's extremely not easy to go, no, I know what I want to do. Oh, I know what's going to feed me, what's going to give me more ROI in life. We only got 24 hours in a day. We only have so many proverbial lanes to swerve in, in the way in the, to where we're going. Well, you start canceling out those lanes that aren't feeding you well, that aren't giving you ROI, that are holding you back. You make more room just by sheer numbers. Just do the math. You're getting rid of the stuff that's not feeding you. And eventually you look up and you go, oh, wow, the numbers are in my favor. It's more clear because I can see through the clutter of what it is and where I'm supposed to go and who I'm going to be. Great companies are all about the people. Good people become great leaders, mentors for work and life. Welcome to Learnings from Leaders, the PNG Alumni Podcast. I'm Andrew Tarvin, humor engineer. And I'm Roman Segel, recovering marketer. Andrew and I both got our start at PNG, the Procter and Gamble company, where we both had the opportunity to work with some amazing people. And as you may know, many leaders across industries got their start at PNG. In this series, through conversations with fellow PNG alums, we hope to go deeper with the leaders you already know but want to know more about how they got their start, how they make it work, and what keeps them going. It's kind of like bringing a microphone to a cup of coffee, or in my case, hot chocolate. On today's show, we're talking to Academy Award-winning actor Matthew McConaughey. Huh, that can't be right. <laughs> hey, Roman, how's it going? Oh, hey, it's Dorian Positano, who's PNG's Director of New Business and Content Innovation, who also hosts PNG's internal podcast, More Than Soap, which is available to all 100,000 PNG employees worldwide. Great to have you on Learnings from Leaders, Dorian. So tell me more about this podcast that you're the host of. Yeah. So as you mentioned, our podcast is called More Than Soap because, look, we've all heard it before. I mean, a P&G or some variation of this at any company in the midst of a particularly stressful team meeting, someone will invariably scoff and say, ah, relax. We're not curing cancer here. We're just selling soap. You know? <laughs> yeah, I've, uh, I've totally done that more than a few times over the years. Yeah. And, you know, I've heard it and I'll admit I also may have even said it at some point during my 10-year career at P&G, but I've also heard people say that we do much more than make and sell packaged goods. You know, that P&G is much more than just a soap company. And the possibilities of what we can do to build our business and impact the world are endless. But we walk around with blinders on and we don't even know we're wearing them most of the time. Or we do it under the guise of efficiency and productivity. Yeah. I mean, one of the things that's always been key to the success of my career at P&G and beyond was the importance of trying to be externally focused as well, because we don't always have all the answers on the inside. You're so right. And so on the podcast, what we do is we sit down with guests like journalist and author Malcolm Gladwell, a brain scientist, an Oscar winning actor, and we rip those blinders off. And we talk to the guests to learn about what they would see if they were in our shoes. And then after every conversation, we also sit down with a PNG leader to unpack the insights and apply them to our world at PNG. Yeah, I mean, I've heard a few of your episodes and they're just really, really well produced. And your guest list is quite impressive. <laughs> so let's actually talk about today's episode, your conversation with Academy Award winning actor Matthew McConaughey. Sure. Well, so recently I had the chance to sit down with McConaughey and talk about his book called Green Lights. And 
he's just a great example of what happens when you just take the time to sit down and really just listen to the wisdom of someone's life experiences. And importantly, whose experiences are not directly tied to what we would call at PNG our five rocks or our work plan. But I'll leave it there and I'll let the listeners come to their own conclusions about my conversation with him. It's a really great one. And I'm just so excited to share this episode with our audience. And I hope this will be the first of several that will feature. But I would be remiss if I didn't mention for the benefit of all the PNG employees who we know are listening to our PNG alumni podcast. Those of you who have not yet subscribed to More Than Soap, you got to check it out because you'll have exclusive access to not just the entire catalog of amazing conversations that Doreen and his entire team have each week, but you'll also get access to post-interview conversations with PNG leaders like Shailash, Fama, Sundar, and many of PNG's executive team. That's right, Raman. Any PNG employee around the world can just go to getmorethansoap.com to hear any of our exclusive content, which you can listen to right on your favorite podcasting app. And, you know, it's worth mentioning that for PNG employees every other week, we also sit down with Shane Meeker, our PNG historian, to talk about some of PNG's most fascinating stories. And they really are fascinating. That is so awesome. I'm super jealous of all our friends still at PNG who get to hear this every week. So look, I know we're looking forward to lots of future podcasting partnerships with More Than Soap on this show. So without further ado, let's jump straight into the More Than Soap conversation with Matthew McConaughey. All right, all right, all right. Yes, Chris really works. Please, please don't sweep the charm. More doctors advise ivory for the skin than any other soap. Matthew McConaughey, welcome to the More Than Soap podcast. More Than Soap, here we are. Let's <laughs> clean up. <laughs> hey, so listen, I had a great Friday night last week. I poured myself a drink, I cracked open this Green Lights book, and I thought I was going to have a chill, relaxing evening after a long work week with a little McConaughey. I mean, what more could you ask for, right? Right. But I'll be honest with you. I couldn't sleep that night. I actually had the opposite of a relaxing night in probably the best way possible because I think that I am and I was at the time just at a place in my life where I needed to hear what you had to say. Heard. And... I'd say I was about a quarter of the way through the book or maybe half, and I felt kind of like this refreshed passion to live, man. Okay. Yeah. And, you know, here's the thing, and I think we'll talk about this as we get into the conversation a little bit, because I, I think a lot of people will misinterpret what's going on here. I felt that way, not because of what you've done, right. you know, not because of the accolades, the recognition, the awards, and not necessarily even because of the stories themselves and what happened, but rather because of how you did it. Yeah, the how. The how. The how's fun, right? Yeah. The how's where I guess we're all original. Yeah. So let, let's let's spend some time talking about the how today. Sure. I'll start with a softball here. What's a green light? What's a red light? What's a yellow light? And why'd you write this book? So a green light, and I use the traffic light as a symbol, because it's apropos. Green light in the road of life means go. It's an affirmation. It's, it's it's something that agrees with us. It says more. Atta boy, atta girl, way to be the one. Carry on, please. <laughs> yes. 
Um, we love them because yeah. they say all those things and they're easy and they're built for ease and acceleration and freedom to move. A red and yellow light, uh, let's start with the yellow light. Yellow light is a, is, is a pause in our life, something that makes us, uh, it interrupts us, slows us down, makes us maybe get introspective, look over our shoulder for a second, take some inventory, hmm, consider. We don't really like those because they make us do that. What we want to do, keep doing is just keep right. cruising in the slipstream of green lights. Come on. Yeah. I don't want to slow down. And then you got red lights. Ooh, we really don't like those. They make us stop. Yeah. In our tracks. Ah, oh, geez. I can't move. I'm stuck with myself. I got to deal with this crisis. Got to deal with this hardship. I got to deal with this thing with myself that I'm going through, whatever that is. I'm stuck. This sucks. <laughs> um but what I found in the in looking back over my 50 years with a lot of the stories that you were actually bringing up a tad is that the red and yellow lights in my life eventually turned green, mm. meaning they had green light assets in them, lessons I was supposed to learn when I had to pause, consider, uh, or were stopped in my tracks by the death of my father or what have you. The hardcore hardships that I was like sucked at the time. And what I'm saying in my theory is not that uh, um, I am saying that all the red and yellow lights turn green eventually. I am not denying the crisis that a yellow and red light has. No, yeah. let's let's give that crisis all the credit it can. But at the same time, it's got a lesson in it that we can turn that red and yellow light green going forward in our life. Now, mind you, when do we find out what that lesson is? Hell, man, sometimes we know when we're in the red light. We realize when we're in a pickle, oh, oh, I get the lesson in this. Cool. Sometimes we figure it out tomorrow, next week, next month, next year. Sometimes we're going to figure it out on a deathbed. Mm. I even venture to say we're not going to figure out what the lessons we were supposed to learn from our yellow and red lights in this lifetime. Maybe our great-grandchildren two generations from now will figure out, ah, I would say there's a green light in the red light world we're in right now with COVID. Yep. We will sometime in the future go, oh, boy, there was a lesson in that that we learned and we evolved from it. Yep. So there is that in the rearview mirror of life, it's all green lights. Why did I write it? Uh, I've been writing them journals for 36 years. Never had the courage to take them away to see what was in them. Yeah. Figured my wife or a good friend would do it when I died. <laughs> and that was sort of a chicken shit excuse for me to say, <laughs> I don't want to look in there. And finally, I got the courage to do so. And I went away and had a look at uh, my last 50 years and found sort of some consistencies. Yeah. Um, found stories, people, places prescribes poems prayers um, and a whole bunch of bumper stickers and <laughs> what I noticed is sort of a streamline throughout those were there was a green light approach or a green light realization with everything when I succeeded when I failed stuff I figured out and stuff I still haven't yeah well I'm glad you wrote it me too thank Me you. and uh, millions of other people it looks like mm -hmm. listen there was a two-year period in your life when you created your own red light Yep. in order to tee up your future self for what became an unbelievable green light. Yep. I'm talking about when you turned down those $15 million payday rom-coms yeah. and unbranded mm. the McConaughey that Hollywood adored. So I want you to tell us about that and yeah. give us your advice for someone who might be in a similar situation, yeah. who is doing something habitually that doesn't fulfill them, doesn't light them up, but there's a belief and a fear that if they create their own red light, that green light they imagine may never come. Yeah. Well, look, one of the things I write in the book is about figuring out who we are, what we want to do, who we are. Yeah. is not easy. 
and it's extremely not easy to go, no, I know what I want to do. Oh, I know what's going to feed me, what's going to give me more ROI in life. To have that clarity, bravo. When we get it, <laughs> grab a hold. Right. What are we usually going through? I don't know what I am, who I am. I don't know what it is I want to do, but damn it, I sure do know what doesn't feed me. I sure yeah. do know what I keep having a hangover about. I sure do know what keeps getting in my way, what habit I keep having that I keep waking up regretting I did it again as a repeat offender. Mm -hmm. Well, great. Let's do ourselves a favor. Forget the affirmative, I'm going forward and towards exactly what I know. Let's start getting rid of the shit that we know is holding us back. Yeah. Start there, process of elimination. It's easier to do. Does it give us the answer? No, but what it does, we only got 24 hours in a day. We only got so many compartments in our mind and spirit to go forward at. We only have so many proverbial lanes to swerve in in the way in the, to where we're going. Yeah. Well, you start canceling out those lanes that aren't feeding you well, that aren't giving you ROI, that are holding you back, you make more room. Right. Just by sheer numbers. Just do the math. Right. There's more room. You're you're getting rid of the, the stuff that's not feeding you, and you look ahead of you, and eventually you look up and you go, oh, wow, the numbers are in my favor. I've got in front of me, and it's more clear because I can see through the clutter of what it is and where I'm supposed to go and who, who I'm going to be. Yeah. So, one, look at that thing and quit making the excuse that, Look, are any of us perfect? I'm not coming at you puritanically saying, no, you shouldn't have vices. And we all got those great, but call them for what they are. Yeah. And at least keep score and go, yeah, that always has a little bit of debit for me when I do that. When I hang out with that person or, or have that or, or take that into my body, it always sets me back. But I'll I'll take it anyway because the immediate gratification was worth right. it. But just own that. Just own that. I'm not saying don't do it. Just own that. Yeah. Don't trick yourself and just thinking like, no, it's really good for me. Well, why do you keep having the proverbial hangover every time you do it? it yeah, it's, you know, yeah. it's it's read the writing on the wall. It's right there, and be honest with yourself. And if you hear that whisper, if you hear it more than a couple times, you might want to listen to it. <laughs> you know what I mean? Well, it's easy to delude ourselves. And look, I would bet all of my P and G stock that there was a voice in your head. I don't know if it was six months in, twelve months in, eighteen months in into that journey that said. Ah, one more rom-com won't make a difference. But you resisted. So how did you maintain faith in possibility? Okay. What gave you the strength to do that? All right. First off, be glad you didn't bet that stock because you'd lost it. Huh. I did not two-step myself once. Here's what I mean. So there was no voice in your head mm -mm. saying, ah, take a look at that script. No. Maybe I'll do it. There was a voice in my head that said, this was foolish. You were out of your mind. Yeah. This was a dumb move. Yeah. There's no pragmatics of this. You just wrote your ticket out of Hollywood. Right. You are never going to work in Hollywood again. Jeez, oh man, did you have to be so miser? Did you have to make a straight line crooked? Because you had a straight line and you just threw a jackknife in it, McConaughey. Yeah. Here's why, though. The voice in my head that told me this isn't my truth, this isn't what I'm supposed to be doing. Yeah. I heard that voice years before. I ever decided to make the call to pull out. Right. It was just about getting the courage and the timing to go. I said, voice has been whispering enough. To listen I to heard it. it enough times. Now I'm going. And once I made the decision, with the help, support help of people like my wife, who knew I'd get wobbly, who said, you have to accomplish things every day to have significance. I'm like, yeah, you know, if I don't know how many days, months, years I go without work, without sort of purpose each day or perceived purpose, that bottle over there is going to start looking better to go visit earlier in the day. I don't right. want to go down that track. Uh, what else did I have to help me? I had a newborn son, which gave me purpose. 
if anything, I'll say this. 15 months into it, I had already shaken hands with, I think I might start a new career. I think I might be a, a wildlife explorer. Or no, maybe what about a high school football coach? Yeah. I had started to shake hands with those as, hey, this is what you got. And, and, and I was already past the, oh, no. Oh, no, that would be a shame. I was like, right. dude, you wrote it. You stuck to it. But I was not going to go back and do another rom-com at that time. Yep. Because the initial choice was so clear. And I'd already had the powwow with myself going, this is going to be hard. You're going to have temptation to go back. Right. Trust that. You're going to have sleepless nights pulling your head out of your head going, what? Go back. But don't listen to them. So I kind of blocked them. So I'm, yeah. you wouldn't have lost all your stock on the bet, but <laughs> I never went to the... I never, yeah, there was some voice, right? And that's yeah. the one I was talking about, but yeah. that's really clear. And it's funny you say that. I'm going to show you. No one's going to be able to see this because it's an audio-only podcast, but my cell phone background right now says do it with passion or not at all Mm. and what feeds you is what you are passionate about am i right yeah and what i'm passionate about feeds me right i mean it's a reciprocation right i mean there are things i'm passionate about that i don't get reciprocated for that are my own personal passions that the world doesn't demand (laughs) but i feel like i can supply them (laughs) but i I go okay that can be a hobby but that's not i'm not going to double down on that and make it a career. Let me say this, though, to unpack that a tad. We have to admit, if we all only did that which we love, unemployment would be through the roof. So are there things I've done that I'm not passionate about, but I go, it's a means to somewhere I'm going. Mm-hmm. And you know what? Since it's inevitable that I'm, I'm, I'm going to do it. I don't like it, but I'm going to do it. Damn right, I'm going to get passionate about this. I'm going to see how good I can be at this damn thing I don't even like doing. I'm going to get off to this. I'm going to trump my own gesture. I'm going to show myself up and go, oh, yeah, watch this. You know what I mean? I'm going to whistle ditties through this and do this with pleasure because I've decided I'm not giving myself an alternative not to do it. Right. Once you've made a decision to do it, you go all in, right? Why not? That's the way I see it. Don't half-ass it once you've made the decision to do it. And, and one, of the, one of the things I write about in the book is sometimes it's not the decision we make. It's just making the damn decision and committing to it. Right. We can sit there and weigh one decision over the other for a week, which turns into a decade. Mm-hmm. And you look up in the decade later, and you're like, oh, my gosh, I haven't moved. And things have moved on without us. Sometimes it's like, just choose one and jump. Don't fall. And it may be the wrong one. Good. If we jump, it'll at least define itself as the wrong one. Right. Or it'll introduce something that we go, oh, this isn't what I was supposed to choose. But I now realize that that other thing isn't either. Right. And you only know if you give it your all once you jump. That's it. I mean, if you give it the justice it deserves, only then can it truly reveal to you whether it's for you or not. Right. Now, you said don't half-ass it. I love that. You talk about in the book how your dad gave you that advice. And it seems to me you took it to heart. I could pick one of many examples. You know, the one that comes to mind is when you went from 182 pounds down to 135 pounds mm-hmm. for Dallas Buyers Club. I mean, you look at that and you say, okay, that guy's not half assing it. We have at times this dangerous expression, I think, at PNG that we use. It's called the 80 for the 20, which basically means you apply 20% of the effort to get 80% of the output, which is good enough. And 80 for the 20 
wouldn't have won you an Oscar. But more importantly than that, I think the process of making the film probably wouldn't have been as fulfilling to you if you were doing the 80 for the 20, you know? Sure. So what's your advice regarding when, if ever, it's okay to do the 80 for the 20? Well, if I think I understand the math right, my mind's malaprop in the fractions in my left and right uh, <laughs> brain right now, and it's probably much simpler than that. Trust me, though, I passed that class. Um, 80% of the output for 20% of the effort, yeah. right? And so you can move on to the next thing because that's good enough. What about 100 for one? 100% of the effort for one, for the outcome, the only I can tell that's the way you think because you are, look, I heard you talk about once and it really resonated with me. It's about the verb, not the noun. So if it's about the verb, not the noun, you are cheating yourself, I think. This is where this is now getting into my personal opinion. If you're giving it the 20%, that's the 20% of the verb and you're getting, okay, 80% of the noun. It's like, so what if it's about the verb, right? But I don't know. Now I'm answering the question and I'm on my soapbox. Well, here. no, no, no. I'm with you because this is part of, part of the dialogue. And, the, and then we have to go, let's define good enough. Right. So what are we saying? 80-20 means if we're all making C's, we're all passing class? Mm. If the world was all making C's, which I don't think we're all making C's. I think some of us are failing class and I've been in that class before too. Yeah. Is saying good enough, good enough. Uh. You know, we over leverage ourselves. Often, yeah. I, I myself, I'm in a time in my life right now, I got a bunch of freaking little campfires right. going, inspirations on my desk. I don't need to be taking on new goals and new ideas right now. Yeah. I need to start putting out some campfires or bringing some campfires together to make larger flames of one. I need to hone down right. to focus. I've got, I'm not, I don't have my hundred for one right now obsession. Right. It's what I prefer uh, because it's very clear. With every perspective and thought through the day, it goes funnel straight to that target. Mm -hmm. That is a vacation <laughs> if you can get away with it, you know? Mm -hmm. Look, the reason, like Dallas Buyers Club, let me start off with a process of elimination to help explain why maybe I did the job I did and got so committed. Mm. First off, a word, a feeling that I don't think we give enough credit to these days. If I wouldn't have, I'd have been embarrassed. Mm. Sitting there at 182, yeah, I lose a few pounds. I'm playing a guy who's, Ron Woodruff, who got stage four HIV. Right. Obviously, I can't go in there looking like I look now. Yeah. I would not be doing my job. I would be embarrassed yeah. first. I don't like being embarrassed. I would have been irresponsible to my job. So on a pragmatic nuts and bolts utilitarian level, right there, if I understand those two, I'm not doing something Wow, that was incredible. Wow, how did you do that? I'm not doing, I'm not into, it's not into awesome. It's like, no, I was nuts and bolts doing my mm, job. Right. Now, after that, to parlay into what you said a minute ago, the five months I took to lose the weight, which forced me, and I was 100 to 1, and, and, and I stayed home, and I studied, and I broke down the script, and I wrote, and then got there, and was felt so confident with my preparation that I was not acting like Ron Woodrow. I was him. He was me. We were the same. Mm. There was no, now you're off screen, now you're in front of the camera. It was. I was living and seeing the world through the lens of his eyes, and that same eyes that he has that I have in me. So that seven, eight, seven months total of preparation and making that movie, if I wouldn't have done everything, if I'd, I didn't have one thought in my mind of, ooh, did I, 
prepare enough here? Did I do enough? No, I was physically prepared, mentally prepared, spiritually prepared. Right. I remember writing in my, 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 my journal at that time. I was like, one take, press record. One take, press record. Don't give me take two. Yeah. I don't want take two. I don't need, <laughs> do you need to? I said, do you need take two? Because I don't. That was my mentality. Yeah. I wasn't saying it bra- braggadocious. I was calling out myself, going, no, press record anything you want and don't even yell cut and I'll still go on. Yeah. I had worked myself into that understanding and identity and confidence that that's what I did. But I started off again. If I don't do, if I don't lose the weight, if I don't get completely committed, I knew I had a great role that I could sink my more than my teeth, my heart and soul into. Yeah. And I said, well, here's a great chance. Here's freedom for you, Matthew. Mm. Here's a vacation freedom. for you. Yeah. Go all the way. No one's going to tell you, well, that's enough. Mm. No, go to you're satisfied. Yeah. And I never was. It's funny you say freedom. It reminds me of when Starbucks used to have these quotes on their cups. I still remember it was like 10 years ago. It said, the irony of commitment is that it is deeply liberating. Yeah. That's the freedom right there. Yes. That that's cool. Yeah. Heard, as you said. Heard. Heard. I yeah. mean, well, look, that's another talk about contradictions. We, we we like to think that responsibility and freedom are doing this. No, they're not. Yeah. We got to give more. We have, we need to give more responsibility to freedom and more and understand the freedom that comes with responsibility. The two are part and parcel. Yeah. I want to talk to you about making plans. Yeah. It's something you talk about a lot in the book. Speaking of contradictions, as you look back through your journals and you come across the one where you're sitting alone in a straw mattress on the roof of a mud hut in a small village in the middle of Mali, Africa. You're seeing 29 shooting stars go across the sky. You've just wrestled <laughs> the village hulk in this big dirt pit <laughs> in front of a cheering crowd. You must read that and go, yeah, I didn't plan that. I definitely didn't plan that. I didn't plan that. So talk to me about making plans. Yep and the role that planning has played in your life? Great question, because, and I've really loved being going over this one, trying to deconstruct this for here a while last year. Yeah. Many things, and you read the book. I have many successes that I wrote the headline first and lived toward the headline, engineered my way towards that headline, set that goal line out in front of me and said, I'm going after it mm. by willpower, engineering, responsibility, and planning, and got it. Great reward. I was surprised to see how many times in my life that I didn't have a plan. I didn't know what I was looking for. Mm -hmm. I didn't know what I'd find or would find me. But I tied my shoes and got out the door. Yep. That whole wrestling match, trace it back to the dream that I had for the third time exactly that if I would have woke up that morning and said, ah, there's another, don't listen to that. There's no, there's no re rhyme or reason to that. Yeah. I never go on the trip, but I said, no, I'm being talked to and it's in bold letters. Listen to this, do something about this. One. Number two, put me now on the day. I've hiked 14 miles. I show up. I'm stretching after my hike in Ben Giamatu, where the wrestling match eventually came down. The two boys come up talking to me, talking at me in Bombara, wanting me to wrestle. I'm blowing it off. And then all of a sudden the village Hulk shows up, Michelle. When he points at me on the ground and then points at his heart, then points to the right, and I look over to the where he's pointing and see a big dirt pit, <laughs> my heart rate starts to skyrocket. I get the gig. Yeah, He's challenging me to a match in that dirt pit, a, a match of which I don't know the rules to yet. <laughs> now, as I'm going through what I'm saying to you right now in my head, what the, I mean, I don't, and I got this 
Jiminy Cricket in one ear saying all these things right now. Whoa, wait a minute. And the crowd's swelling. Ah! Mm-hmm. Guess what else is happening simultaneously? I'm getting up. Right. Because finally in this other ear is the other little voice that's going like, you'll never know unless you do. <laughs> the very least, it'll be a great story to tell. <laughs> it was. It was one so, of those moments in the book where I, I just actually out loud, I was like, wow. Wow. Uh, and trust me, when I stood up and, and then pointed his heart and mine and moved towards the dirt pit, I was extremely anxious. Yeah. I didn't know if the rules were break an arm to fight to the... I didn't. I was pretty sure it wasn't fight to the death because they were very kind people. Pretty sure. Pretty sure. <laughs> <laughs> and, oh, you know, but, but we went. It was... But that's when I put on my shoes is when I was getting up. The putting on my shoes, I didn't know the outcome. And as I, and, and if you even follow yeah. the story, again, my very Western mind of, oh, it's about the outcome, which we're so addicted to, right? It's about the result. I go on from there after handling myself well in the wrestling match. Arguably, some people winning. They looked at me like, oh, is it, no one was keeping score. Right. You won when you accept the challenge, Dada which is yep. what they call me Dada. That was it. Very Eastern African way. They're not talking wins or loses. They weren't care, worried about the result. Right. I was a big man in that village when I got up off the ground to accept the challenge. Yeah. More so than how well I did in the ring in the big dirt pit. Yeah. No, but I, I love that metaphor that you, that you reference. It, it gets you out the door tying up your shoes. And I remember seeing at the end of the book, after you conclude, you put the list of 10 goals that you wrote down in the summer of 92. And for me, what I found most profound about that page is that you hadn't seen that list since you wrote it in 92. I think that's the perfect example of, okay, you had the goals, you set the goals, you forgot them, you got out the door and you did with passion. Yeah. And that's, that's what I love. That's what resonated with me. I wrote them down, but I never consciously thought about achieving any of those goals. But it must have been a really good night where the me and the truth were sitting well with each other because I must have written, they must have been written in my lineage before I put put them for pen to paper. Yeah. Um, because because all ten of them I have achieved or am in the midst of achieving. Sure. Yeah. No, that's fine. Fa- I mean, one of the goals was, as people will read, win an Oscar for Best Actor. Yeah. I mean, that's fascinating. In '92, after two 92. weeks after my first acting job as Wooderson and Days Confused, I wrote that down. It's crazy. And I was still verbally. If you'd have asked me at that time, so what do you want to do? You want to act? I'd have been like, ah, no, I mean, yeah. I don't think so. I mean, I'd like to get production maybe, you know. I wouldn't even admit it, but I could admit it to my page. And not only did I admit that I wanted to act in my page, I admitted that I had a goal of wanting to get the crown achievement or the gold yeah. standard. Yeah, but it gets you out the door. I love that. Yeah. So we love goals at P&G, and every employee in the company spends a lot of time setting goals and objectives for themselves and their team. And... These goals require a lot of focus and discipline and perseverance, and it becomes easy to strap the blinders on, to become obsessed and single-minded in service of that perseverance. Yep. So I'd love for you to tell us a story of how you learned when to pause and get relative, as you say, and widen your perspective to find another green light, maybe. Open the aperture. Yeah. You may be able to remind me of stories where I've done it that I wrote about. But, I mean, generally speaking, 
that's one of the arts of living right there. Yeah. Whether it's a local company, P&G, Perseverance goal to go obtain, to put the blinders on and go get it. Great value in that. And I think more of us could do more of that. Can we over persist? Can we beat on a door and beat our head against a wall trying to get to the other side of it for too long when sometimes what we need to do is back up and go, oh, I missed that. There's the key. <laughs> Why don't yeah, I just unlock yeah. it? Sure. Yeah. I would say, though, that what we, what we suffer from more in person kind is quitting when the going gets rough, mm. is pulling out when we have to start sacrificing. Right. Of letting our pride overwhelm our honor of saying, ah, no, 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 it's too hot. It's too hot. <laughs> too hot. The kids, I started breaking sweat. I don't like that. Right. I would say that if I was going to measure my hunch is that that is what we, we, we could we could bolster ourselves in more is, is more perseverance and more work ethic and willpower and endurance and resilience. Yeah. But yes, do we and have I banged my head against certain walls? long enough and then later re realized, oh, dude, if you just backed up and had another perspective, you'd have seen there was the key. All you had to do was put the key in the lock. Why? I talk about it in the stories of the art of running downhill. Mm. You know, I have <laughs> I've had downhill times in my life where it's clear the path and the wind is at my back. Mm -hmm. And I started to feel like the non-deserving complex, you know, mm -hmm. oh, geez, why me? This is all too good. And I'll trip myself and face plant. Bam. Mm -hmm. Well, I came to learn, dude. <laughs> The uphill's coming. You don't have to create it. Yeah. <laughs> you don't create. Uh, I've done time. You talked about a red light with the unbranding. There's times where we need to create resistance in our life yeah. for it's, because it's true. But there's other times where we don't need to be. That resistance hasn't earned its way into our life. Right. Let's right. go to yellow and red lights. There's certain yellow lights in our life yeah. that we should slow down and yeah. stop at the red light. There's a lot of other yellow lights. We should put the damn pedal to the metal and blow through that son of a bitch and not give that crisis credit. Right. And just say bullshit. Right. Uh-uh. You're not getting my credit, man. Yeah. Art of living. Um, yeah. So it is persistence. It is pivot. And there is sometimes to wave a white flag and go, you know what? I've been chasing this. I've been trying to make this work. So when do we question the right hard work and smart work? When do we go, man, I'm working really hard, but I'm not feeling any build. I'm not feeling an evolution in my work. I, 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 the, my end goal is becoming less clear yeah. as the harder I work. Maybe that's the time to open the aperture and back up a minute and go, wait a minute. I know when I'm doing my best work, I can feel the lineage building towards my outcome. Yeah. Am I feeling it? Am I not feeling that? Do I need to look at it from a different perspective? Do I need to take a moment of silence, take a day off, go eat and go for a walk and get out of logic for a while? Mm -hmm. Director Mark Waters told me this, and it's a great quote that may, I think, I think ladle into what you're, what you're saying or what you're asking, which is I'm, when I go to work, I have very strong opinions about what I should do, right? And what I shouldn't do in a scene. And he's having a, his ghost to girlfriend's past. He's having a conversation. He wants me to try this. I'm like, oh no, no, I'm telling you, this is what I would do. This is what I would do. And he goes, you know what? You're right, McConaughey. And I was like, thank you. He goes, you're actually never wrong. I was like, thank you. <laughs> and he goes, but there's more than one way to be right. Mm. And I went, oh. Damn. And I remember raising my hand going, touche. Thank you. So that's another part of opening up the aperture is yeah. back up and go, I'm not, if I back up and take a pause, doesn't mean I'm saying I'm wrong. Yeah. Doesn't mean it's saying you're wrong. Just back up and go, you got another way? Is there another way of being right about this? What's your way?
Yeah, yeah. Or if I look at it from a different perspective, do I have another way of seeing it to be true or right than I did before? Yeah. Kind of reminds me of that bumper sticker that I like. And honestly, I don't know if I know what the hell it means. You can tell me. You say, sometimes we have to leave what we know to find out what we know. Yeah. What did that mean to you? Is that sort of along well, the same lines or go deeper on sure. that one with me? Okay. It's a bit of that. It's opening up the aperture. It is, for me, those trips to Mali, to Peru, to Australia, those are places where I just tie my shoes to go to an unknown place where I would be anonymous, yeah. where I would be lost, where I would be stuck with myself and my own company and not be enjoying it, mm. where I would be frustrated, confused, going, uh, gave me great perspective, truer, much clearer perspective of who I was and where I came from. Respect, even, even basic gratitude for things and clarity that I had with my family at home. You know, the Australian trip, <laughs> mm. I mean, basic things. Two months into that, I'm like, oh, I never appreciated the fact I had a driver's license in a truck so much. Oh, mm -hmm. I miss my girlfriend. I miss my friends. I miss my golf clubs. <laughs> oh, I mean, I just, I, all these things that I was just like taken for granted. Yeah. And so I learned much more about my home, my state, my family, America. You know, everyone, uh, travelers out there, you go off and you end up watching Al Jazeera or BBC News on the world events. You learn a different perspective about America than you do if you're watching Fox or CNN or MSNBC in America. Yeah. They proportion the news differently. It's from a different objective sort of point of view. So you can actually learn more in some ways. If you step out of the, 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 the sort of normal avenues of what you hear, what you listen to, what you learn, what you watch, step out of them. Yeah. Have a look. You're not going over... The scary part is like, no, we, we love what we have. We love having it all right there. And I know what it is. I can trust it. Mm -hmm. And, you know, what do we do online? We go to people that think like us. Yeah. Ah, okay. I feel safe. Good. Just lean into the blind spots a little right. bit more. Doesn't mean you're going to forget who you are. And let's say this, when we go to people come to us and they're coming into a blind spot, it's not our responsibility to convert them. Mm -hmm. Just share with them. We're right. into, we're we're overly we get we're really into conversions these days. Right, right. <laughs> you know, it's like orthodox biblical stuff. It's like no, we're just talking politics. Yeah. We can have a conversation without a condemnation, without conversion. <laughs> have a conversation, listen to something else without having to be converted. Right, listen. Yeah. So you talk about Australia. You talk about resistance. So Australia, obviously, being a pretty tough year for you, um, <laughs> and. Uh, <laughs> I'll take you to the other side of the spectrum. You call it Easy Street. Listen, I'm 31, and I read the part about you staying at the Chateau in L.A. for a few months where you partook, as you put More it. More than a few months. How long was that for? I think I made it over a year. Over a year. All right. But you partook for over a year. Yes. I said yes and took the lid off. I mean, it, it sounded pretty great to me, but as I'm reading it, you're describing it like it's some amazing five-star restaurant. Mm -hmm. But then the way you concluded, and you can tell people the story if you want, it seemed to me that the experience was like, and I've got to give Mitch Hedberg credit for this one, but it was more like <laughs> pancakes than a five-star restaurant. It's like at the beginning, you're all excited. By the end, you're sick of them. <laughs> like That's how I felt when I was reading it, sort of. So I want to know, like, what insight did you have? What feeling did you get that told you, this is not what I want. And I'm kind of asking for everyone yeah. who may not 
ever get the chance to experience Easy Street in that way, yeah. as you called yeah. it, and yeah. who perhaps mistakenly are in pursuit of it. Yep. So, look, I afforded myself at that time. I had been successful. I'd made some cash. Yeah. I was making movies. I was single. I was like, let's buy a pair of leather pants and a motorcycle <laughs> and move into the chateau and have our Jim Morrison years, baby. Sounds great. And Sign me up. Was, yeah. You know, and even though to engage in that fully, I had to give myself the freedom to say, hey, man, you're not a tyrant. You're not a bad guy. Give yourself the. If you want one more, oh, I have another. If you want a double, have a proverbial double. You know what I mean? Mm. I knew that it was a stop, not a stay. Mm -hmm. I did not fear that I was going to become dependent or addicted mm -hmm. on the revolutionary transient nature of little responsibility and let's just stay on the merry-go-round and, you know, life's an affair. Yeah, I knew it was an affair, not a... Not a marriage for me. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I knew it was a stop, not a stay. And in in being sound with that, I then allowed myself to say, so therefore, enjoy your Saturdays, which are going to be every day. <laughs> <laughs> right. You know, I, so going into those times where we go, I'm going to go, I'm going to go off over here. I'm going to indulge. Mm. I'm going to take it easy on myself. I'm going to say yes to my desires. If we're, clear with ourselves, or understand, hey, in my soul, I know this is not, I'm not saying this is who I want to be. I just need a, need a vacation. I'm mm. going to give myself that, and I'm going to give this vacation justice. Mm. It's easier to then go, okay, uh, that's enough. I'm out of here. I needed more resistance. After a while, I was done. I had, it was enough Saturdays. I'd had enough Saturdays in a row. I had indulged enough to go, it had been easy enough. I needed, you know, I was also, it was a time I started those agnostic years for myself mm. and not regrettably learned a lot from that, right. um, from those times about self-reliance and having my own hands on the wheel. Right. But I was, I, I needed, I, I was, it's, it, you know, those times, we know those times are revolutionary, meaning mm -hmm. they circle, they go around and around. Yeah. They're not evolutionary. They don't have an ascension to them. Meaning, if you realize it's a stop, not a stay, it's like, okay, right. this is a, a tryst, it's an affair, but it's not like where I'm heading. It's not where I start to plant my seeds and grow my garden that I'm taking with me non-negotiably through life. Right. I think I realized that before I got into it and mm. realized it while I was in it, but told myself, it's okay. It's okay, Mr. Responsibility, Matthew. You can, you've earned the right to not feel so, so damn responsible for yeah. a little while. And I gave myself a good amount of time. Yeah. I wasn't sick of it when I left. I just said, okay, got it. That was a season. Yeah. I chose that season. Damn, that was a fun season. I'm yeah. not going to boo-hoo on that season. Uh-uh. I'm not going to sit back and be one of those guys like, I'm never drinking again. Yeah. Oh, yeah. come on, man. Yeah. Come on, just because you're hungover today doesn't mean I can <laughs> yeah, just sit right. there and say, not right now, but don't don't boo-hoo the season, you know, yeah. or, or, or the relationship that didn't work out. Don't yeah. boo-hoo it. It was where you were. Right, right. You know? Um, you're in someplace else now. See, you looked at it as a stop. And I think what's a shame to see is when people look at it as the destination. Right. I think that's where maybe there gets to be some confusion. Yeah. And, you know, as someone reading that part of the book, it's like, damn, that's a five-star meal. I want, I want that. That's where I'm going. But when you look at it that way, that's not a stop. That's the issue. But everybody 
Come on. Even if you just won the lottery and you just went to Vegas and bought the top floor penthouse. Yeah. And you're going to say yes that everything Vegas has to offer after midnight. Come on. You could do the math. We're right. human machines. There's only so what's the where do the residuals run out? Right. The compounding effects of the ROI come in less and less and less. Yeah. It's like drugs, you know? First time's great. Then all of a sudden, next time, do it at seven o'clock, and then you're going to do it at 10 o'clock, and then midnight. Then the next time you do it, you do it at seven o'clock, 8 30, 9, 10, 10 15. The next time you do it at seven o'clock, eight o'clock, nine o'clock, 10 o'clock. And all of a sudden, you're like, the residuals aren't here. The payback's not fair. Yeah. This is not a stay. It's yeah. obviously because it's the compounding assets are getting weaker and, right. and going into the deficit as they return. So there's choices in our life and lifestyles that we have that we have to go, is it giving me more time, more health, right. more inspiration? More life yep. going forward. So make the choices that say, it's going to feed me. It's okay to go have times where we go out and go, I'm going to run on reserve. I'm going to run on fumes for a little while. But know that that's, that's an aberration. That's a one-off. Yeah. Get back on the free, get back on the Autobahn that, and do the things that can feed you, which is all about a lot about delayed gratification. Yeah. Just understanding, have a little more trust, faith, and belief in ourselves and where we're going and what we're building ourselves to be. Right. I think we could all trust in that a little bit more. Mm-hmm. and give that some more credit and believe in ourselves a little bit more to then help us pull out of those times when we go, oh, I think this is what I want. I'm going to stay right here. Right. Well, we got a good wolf and a bad wolf in us. Which one we want to feed? Which I we mean, feed, yeah. Which one? We know that's the bad wolf. Fine, feed him too. But mm-hmm. don't go to bed with him every night. <laughs> <laughs> right. Because he'll eat you. <laughs> So Matthew, I, I think as the host of this podcast, I'm going to switch gears over to P&G for a little bit here. So, <laughs> <laughs> Hey, let's clean it up. More than soap. <laughs> More than okay? soap, exactly. So here's my question for you. When I started at P&G, it was pretty ingrained in me that there was a certain way of doing things. Frameworks, we've got acronyms, processes, we've got it all. Yep. I found it interesting that when you were in acting school, your teacher threatened to fail you, basically, because you were skipping class to do auditions. Yep. So take us into your mind during that time and tell us what led to your conviction that gave you the courage to do things in the unconventional way, in your way. Well, it was a time where I had found an agent who would call me from time to time to go drive to San Antonio or go to Houston or Dallas or here in Austin to go try out for a music video or a beer commercial or something like that. And I was in film school and I was in the honors class, but I had a pager on because those calls to go to those those uh, auditions could come at any time. And a lot of times they came while I was in class. Yeah. Let me take you back to high school. Me and a buddy, Rob Bindler, who I write about in, this, in the book, realized our sophomore year in high school that, hey, this GED doesn't mean what it used to. Well, I got an older brother, 66. His generation, you got a GED, you got a, you got a job. Mm. I got another brother, 54. GED wasn't enough. You got to get a college education. So I mm-hmm. realized, hey, I got to start living for the, the, the future. Well, I took that to college. Mind you, same thing. Now I'm sophomore year of college or junior year. And I'm realizing in this arena that I'm going forward into, the arts and creativity, they don't give a damn about my GPA. Mm-hmm. They want a product. Mm. They want something they can see that they think might be in demand and they could supply it right. and make money off of it. I need a product. I need a film. Right. I need a performance. 
And so while I was all for the theoretical and learning the book stuff, when that pager went off, I went and my teachers and the dean called me and said, look, attendance is a big thing here. And I said, I understand that. And I promise I'll be here for the final exams. But if I've got a, if I've got a chance to go out in the real world and get an actual practical job or even try and not get the job but go to the audition or get a PA job, that is stuff we're learning about here in class in the industry. If I got a chance to do that practically, I'm sorry, sir, man, but I'm, I'm, I'm going to do it. And they were like, well, I just, you know, don't know if we can pass. I said, look, if it comes to that, could you just give me a C? Ah, I don't know, but I don't know. Anyway, I continued to chase my pager. I made it for all my final exams. I did made a bunch of C's. And I wrote about that. I learned more making the C's than I did when I was making the A's. Because I was a real studious student. I had a 3.82 GPA, which is what helped me get into film school. Right. But it was clear to me that the practical experience I was getting outside of class and chasing down was going to be worth more than making an A in the class. Yeah, hear you. Yeah. So what you just said about the you know theoretical versus real world learning, it reminds me of another question I had for you about preparation. Because if I added up the amount of hours that I've spent preparing for presentations yeah. here at P&G, you know, for like senior management and things like that, I'd probably be embarrassed to give you the number of hours. How are the presentations? They're fine. They're good. You know, I was prepared. But I, what I'm saying is one time you showed up to a shoot, a production shoot, having not even read the script. <laughs> okay. Yeah. And yeah, I know that one didn't turn out great. But what I want to know is like, how do you find this balance between preparation and spontaneity yeah. and just letting things flow? Tell us about that. Great question. And it goes back, it's another parallel to the, hey, sometimes you write the headline and you go after it. Just prepare for it. And sometimes you just got to tie your shoes and get out the door, mm -hmm. which would be the, hey, just go with it. It's, again, a combination of, of both. I am a heavy preparer. Mm. But before I go to get in the proverbial game to do the presentation or go on set or whatever it's going to be, my last couple weeks of preparation are not about learning more. They're about these 800 pages I've written, yep. I'm starting I'm starting to chunk them, throw them. Right. And, I'm, and trust me, when I'm throwing them, I'm going, no, 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 no. That was genius. You don't, don't, don't. And I'm going, uh-uh, forget it. Hmm. If it ain't, if it's not, it's gone. You've been here. Right. Have we worked it down to here to the lineage where it's an instinct. Then I'm well prepared if it's, it's, if it's made its way down to, to, to instinct. And I'm hmm. like, oh, but I need those notes. No, throw them. You got it now. Trust that you got it now. Now go ding, ding. Right. You're in the ring. Get, start getting the mindset, I don't need two takes, one take. Press record. Love that. Don't even tell me acting. Press record when I show up, and you don't even have to yell cut, because 12 hours from now, if my man, my character, would still be doing so-and-so, I'll still be doing it. Becomes you. All you need to do is capture. Mm. So put myself on that pressure. We had, I had an actual experience like that working with William Friedkin on a, on a film called Killer Joe. He sat the whole cast down day one and goes, new rule. Probably never worked this way. And everyone goes, what? And he goes, everybody gets one take. Wow. Well, everyone goes, <gasps> come on. Well, I did. I did two, one take. I did two. But immediately, right when I got that, you can do one of two things. What are they? The inevitable is that your directors just said you get one take. So how do we want to get relative? Either go, oh, geez, man. Okay. One take, one take, one, one take. I got to do good. I got to hit it. Or, 
what I thankfully chose to do was, <laughs> here we go, baby. Let's that. go. One take, let's get it on. And, and, and it became incredibly fun. And that's where I actually learned that after that, everything after take one is acting. Yeah. Yeah. The first take, if you're relaxed and prepared, is where the real stuff goes down in life, too. Can we make a performance better in take three than take one? Yes, you can. A good actor can do that. Mm -hmm. I'm going to go back. I'm going to polish it. I'm going to edit it. Sure, you can do that if you're really skilled in life. But the real one, if you're prepared and you're relaxed and you're ready, the real show is take one. Right. Acting, life, everything. That's the take. That's it. I think that's a perfect example, Matthew. Your perspective of that shows me that you embrace the how. Right. You jumped into that and you're like, this is going to be fun. You know? I didn't have an alternative. I didn't have an alternative. <laughs> but what I'm saying is like, okay, let's have fun with it. Right. Let's have fun with it. And, and then you became that person he, and you were the man. I love how you talk about that in the book. You know, you became the man. Yeah. Which was your character. Reminds me of another question I had for you. In the book, there's a picture of you leaning against your Nissan 300ZX. Right? <laughs> <laughs> and then right next to that one, there's another picture of you sitting in your truck. Tell us that story and what you learn about what happens when you resist who you are, speaking of being who you are. You know? <laughs> and stops, not stays. But yeah. you want to try things out. Yeah. We want to chase, we want to chase golden, shiny things. <laughs> you know, we want to, hey, give it a try. Because that's how we can learn. Well, here's how I learn. I've got a truck. I'm in high school. I'm fun McConaughey, man. I we we're in East Texas. I got a speaker in the front of my truck. We're in the parking lot before school. I'm talking, hey, Kathy Cook, nice hair today. They're like looking around, don't know where it's coming from. Like, oh, it's Matthew. He 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 all great. We go, I'm the guy that pushes ghosts. No matter if I get late to the concert, we're gonna work our way to the front row, man. Right. I'm the guy at the party. I don't lean against the the wall, smoking the proverbial cigarette, I'm on the dance floor. After school, we're going mudding in my, Matthew's truck. It's fun. <laughs> well, one day I'm driving by the Nissan dealership and I see this beautiful candy red 300ZX with a price on it that was like, am I missing something? That looks way low. Well, I pull in, talk to the guy, basically get a trade-in. I'd always wanted a red sports car, T-tops. Are you kidding me? Well, I get it for basically a trade-in. Well, I get that car and I take it home I'm, every Sunday afternoon. I'm waxing that baby. I'm parking in the third parking lot so no other cars park near me so they can't open their door and dent it. I don't have the speaker in the grill anymore. All of a sudden, I'm not mudding after school anymore. I'm asking the girlfriend if they want to go for a ride after school. And they're like going, Meh. I'm like, you want to come cruising my 300ZX with me? And they're like, ah, I'm going to go mudding with Trey Hickman. You know, he's got the truck. And all of a sudden, I find myself leaning against my red sports car in the third parking lot. Like, look at me. Look how cool <laughs> I am. Alone. Me and my red sports car. Alone, right? Now, you know, girls came by. Hey, that's, wow, nice car. But I'm just like going, right? Nice car. <laughs> check, check this out. T-tops. I got lazy. All of a sudden, I'm not yeah. doing the work. I'm, I'm relying on this damn red sports car to do the work for me. All of a sudden... 
go to the concert. I'm not hustling up to the front row. I'm saying, well, let's just stay back here in the back and maybe I'll go be cool. I am the guy who's leaning against the wall at the party and not on the dance floor anymore. Mm-hmm. Right? I'm let's go cruise Highway 80 after school in my red sports car with my T-tops off rather than go, let's go, bud, and have some fun. Yeah. Well, I tried this and I had this car for quite a few months. And anyway, my social life kind of dried up. <laughs> It kind of dried up. I was not the fun guy. Actually, some of the the girls I were friends with were like, I mean, you're kind of, I don't know, full of yourself or maybe are you full of your car? Mm -hmm. They would kind of question like, dude, what's going on? Because I was too cool for school. I relied on my car. Well, it hit me. This all started when I got that damn car. I drove down to that Nissan dealership that afternoon after school and uh, he still had the truck. (laughs) And I begged and pleaded and maybe threw out a few hundreds to get him to do it, but traded back in and got that truck. Yeah. And I mean, the next day I brought that truck back to school, parked back in the first parking lot, got back on my megaphone, flirting and honking (laughs) and talking all the noise in the parking lot. I was now hustling again. I was running. I was the guy in the game, mudding after school. He's back. I was back. I mean, it was like night and day. Friends, girls, guys, everybody. I was McConaughey's back. And I was like, felt good, I bet. It felt great. Yeah. It also ladles into that that phrase I have in there. When you can, ask yourself if you want to before you do. There's a lot of things, you know, that we have in in life that come, especially with affluence, mm. that we go, well, I mean, do I want to do that? Well, I mean, I never could before and I can now. Yes. Mm-hmm. Well, that's still an adolescent frame of mind. Just because we can do something or get new options or get successful and we have more uh, affinity for things to be able to do in life. Just because we can yeah. doesn't mean we should do them. Ask ourselves, wait a minute, do I really want to? Right. And that's a much more evolved, I think, choice mechanism. Yeah. To ask ourselves if we want to before we do when we can. Yeah. Which I never had a red sports car before, man. And I could for the first time. So I did it. Hey, I've never had my jeans pressed. I don't know. Maybe <laughs> I want that. I don't know. Maybe. <laughs> Maybe. You know, I thought I did. Yeah. Right. Until I looked at that damn line and said, no, I don't. <laughs> uh, well, you, you said in the book, you appreciate the value of vanity. Yeah. You've done the Hollywood dance. And I'd say of all places, that place seems to be obsessed with comparison. Sure. And I don't know if the corporate world is necessarily as shallow as Hollywood can be, mm-hmm. but it can be pretty reputational. Sure. Meaning it feels like it matters what people think of you, you know, if you want to rise the ranks. Yep. So how do you dance with that and not get sucked into caring deeply about, you know, what people think of you and have that drive you? Look, the story I just told exposes a value of vanity. I was very vain. The red sports car was vanity. Mm -hmm. What did I get out of it? I got out of it. (laughs) No, No way. I want my truck back. And I came talk about leaving what you know to find out what you know. I really found out I knew why I loved my truck and who I was before. But I wouldn't have realized it and loved it so much unless I got the damn red sports car and been vain. Right. So again, that was a yellow light turn green that had a a lesson in it that that gave me great value. Right. In the corporate world, there's vanity all over the place. I mean, let's talk about some vanities. More money. Right. You the man, you the woman. Well, don't care how you got it sometimes. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Did you lie, cheat, and steal? Good guy, good girl to get there? No, but you got more money. You get your seat at the head of the table. Well, that's vanity. 
Yeah. Because you had the highest number. You had the most money. Yeah. You know, we have to watch in this world, which we watch now. I get it. Money is one of our gods. And if not, the prime one that we are going after to say this means you are successful. This also means in this world we live in, this means we respect you more. Mm-hmm. This means you have a seat at the head of the table. You are at the front of the line. Why? I don't care what you did to get here, but you got mm-hmm. the most money. Come on, please. Well, that's vanity right there. Yeah. That's vanity. Yeah. No, so let's course, just admit that's vanity. You know what I mean? Yeah. We talk a lot about and, and take a lot of pride in what we call our PVPs, our principles, values, and purpose at P&G. Yep. And something I thought about in the book, you said about a few experiences you had in Hollywood. It's not personal. It's just business. Yep. It's something that I'm, I'm proud of at P&G, frankly, not to get cliche, but we try not to walk down that path. Yep. You know, and I think the logic is, and the tension is, as a society, don't we all get what we tolerate as individuals? Meaning, if we look at something and say, eh, it's just business. That's a slippery slope, man. Yeah. It's also a survival mechanism to get past some hardships. Yeah, we do all get what we tolerate. Right. But at the same time, civilization's tough, man. And... What is part of growing up? You say you're, what, 31? Mm-hmm. You know, you're coming out of your revolutionary 20s, man. It's black and it's white. It's this or it's that. Mm. 30s probably be more of a customizing decade for you where you start to see a little bit of, I don't know, call it compromise. Hey, a little bit of it's an and, not an or world. I understand you got a little bit of that. People call it a shade of gray. Well, maybe. Right. We all, to some extent, to survive, especially to possibly thrive, we compromise and let ourselves tolerate certain things. I mean, if I didn't let myself tolerate certain things that I would call an injustice, oh, geez, man, I don't think I'd be alive. That's more dramatic than what I thought you were going to say. I thought you were going to say that you wouldn't be where you are today if you didn't dance with some of those devils. <sighs> Well, that's that. That's on the way to what I what I was saying is well. That's the other side of that coin for right. sure. We it's also a, a, an art. If again we stick to our principles, values, and purposes as our priority, there's times where I knew the game in front of me yeah. and said, "Watch this, I'll play this." Right. Or I knew my zone and said, "I'm not going to completely give all of myself right here because I know my zone, and, and I think if I stay in this zone opportunistically, I'll get more of what I want later." Mm-hmm. I play the game. I, I, I right. play the game. This this game that life is. This game of business and working our way up. Mm-hmm. I've, I've I've seen those opportunities at times. That time when in, in 1992 when I went down to the other end of the bar to introduce myself to Don Phillips, who then cast me in Days Confused. Yeah. I didn't go down there looking for a new friend. I knew he was a damn producer in town, right. and I was interested in the film industry. I was being very intentional. Mm. Now, when I got there in front of him, I didn't play my nervous hand like, hey, hire me. I was acting like I was just hanging out. Four hours later, he then says, hey, ever done any acting? Well, that's what I was going over there for. Right. Yeah, you played the game, but you didn't compromise your values. I don't think. No, no, I didn't compromise my I didn't compromise my values, but I I played the game. Yeah. yeah. So can we play the game maintaining our principles, values and purpose? Yes. Can we be rewarded for playing that game? Yes. Is that a harder game to win? Yes. It's supposed to be. Do we have the medal to do it? We'll see. Hmm. That's the long view, though. I think part of it is our consciousness of what is our reward. 
what do we see is the reward? Is it the end of the month spreadsheet that says how much we were in the black or the red? Well, it needs to be because that's on the way and you've got to run a business and so we got to stay in business. But does it matter how we did that? Mm. A lot of people in life can lie, cheat and steal. But hey, if that number's in the blacks bigger than your number in the black and you did it the right way. Sorry, buddy, I'm going with McConaughey, even though he lied, cheated and steal. He's got me more in the black. I would call that a short term thought. Right. It's just short term ROI. Now we're back to focusing on the now, not the verb. Yeah. Right. But if you add them all up, they're all each one independently keeps the word and life remaining a verb. I mean, it's definitely increments right. of different significant situations that you're in that you go, can I do this one the best way and truest way I know possible? Right. And they do accumulate. There's an accumulative effect that keep them all a verb. Some people sleep very well at night, getting what they want by hook or by crook, and no matter how many people they screwed over. I don't know, man. I almost don't believe it. I think, I think a lot of people do. Mm. I think a lot of people do. I think, I don't want to believe it. They're also the people that are aging like crazy when you look at them, though. Well, now here we go. Here we go. Now we're getting into the long money. Right. Now we're getting into the big ROI. Okay, you did that. I've talked to lots of people who die with the most toys yeah, and don't have family or friends and screw yeah. people over. Is that really what they wanted? As far as I've heard, a lot of people go, no, it's not what I wanted. So yeah. who's drinking the Kool-Aid? Mm. And if we can just have a long view enough to see further down the line, that's why I bring up in the book, what's your eulogy? Start thinking about death right now. It's not a morose idea. Think about what your eulogy is going to be. It's going to introduce you when you're gone. You're writing it right now. Yeah. Your resume you're writing right now is leading towards your eulogy. If we dared, we're so afraid of, it's not death that holds us captive. It's dying and we're all dying. <laughs> we're all on our way dying. So let's, we know we can shake hands with that, but everyone's afraid of death. We'll be less afraid of death. Look that in the eye and you're yeah. going to start living a lot more truly. I carried a coin around for a while. It said memento mori. Yep. It means remember you will die. Yes. It's kind of morbid, you know, and if depending on how you look at it, but it's true. It's reality. Again, when faced with the inevitable get relative, is it morbid or is it like, whoa, I better get after it. Right. I talk about this in the book, about those times when, I know for me, when I look at myself in the timeline of the histories of time, and I look at myself at the little blip where I am on the globe in the world at this time, what's it all going to matter? Jesus, it's not. Right. None of it matters. Yeah. So the next move, if that's a fact, which I believe it is, I either go... Okay, since it doesn't matter, I'm going to become a morbid cynic and go, yeah. well, then forget it. Yeah. Or you go, no, that's exactly why it all matters. Right. Just the choice. So what's the choice? The first one's no fun. Let's just take it as a basic energy. The first one just sucks. Yeah. Even if I'm playing, even if you go, Bagana, you're playing a trick on yourself. Well, great. If, if, if the joke's on me, at least I'm on the joke, man. You know what I mean? What's the alternative? It's a joke, so don't play it. Well, okay. What's, okay. If it's all a joke. <laughs> yeah. Then, then dive what's in. your choice, Come on, let's bro? Go. Let's go. <laughs> hey, Matthew, I know you've got alarms going off. You've got phones ringing. I've got three questions left for you. Go for One it. One of them, if I didn't ask, I'd probably be fired because I'm a branding guy. Yep. You don't talk much about your role as the creative director for Wild Turkey Bourbon. So I wanted to ask you, what have you learned about building brands throughout your career with that experience or anything else? Well, you know, the word authenticity is thrown around, but I think it's thrown around for good reason. Yeah. Because basically what it's saying is go to the source. 
We don't need to come up with the magic trick. First of all, let's go in our preparation. What's the product? Who's making it? Who's it for? What's the supply? What's the demand? What's the story? Mm. And do we need to razzmatazz it up and put a bunch of bells and whistles on it? Or do or actually does it is it more of a long term, well told story that will sell more of the true brand if we just really go deep into what's great about the brand, right. what's true and authentic about the brand. So I started off studying the Russell family. Mm. They're a great brand, a great family. Study them, their own values, the way they didn't change, and 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 you know, uh, prohibition, and then when, when people went bourbon light and tried to make bourbon that the masses would like, uh, Jimmy Russell was just like, nope, I got my one hundred and one right there. That's what I do. See, he's a great example of you don't. Sometimes you change by staying the same. Yeah. And as these cycles of things go, we have to watch that balance between how much are we reacting to the millennials or whoever's out there purchasing whatever product, whatever dem- demography that is, how much are we reacting to them and how much are we saying like, they can smell reactions. Right. Hold steady and sell your true self. And after they see that that was smoke and mirrors, here you are. Right. Stay steady. The authentic one. Have you had to make any tough decisions for the brand that you made because you said, no, 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 this is us. That's not us. Yeah. I mean, there's a few, I wouldn't say they were tough. I argued against some things early on that I felt like we were trying. Maybe the idea was trying too hard. Right. Some of that, what I was just talking about, wait wait a minute, let's not reach out and pander. They, I'm telling that our, our, our consumer, I'm giving them the credit that they can still be able to smell the solicitation. Right. I think, I, I believe that we're all, especially in today's world, we can, you can smell it through a TV screen. You can smell it through an interaction. You can smell it through a picture ad. You can smell the solicitation. Yeah. And if you believe in your product, again, you don't trespass into your space yeah. to get you to, no, no, try it, try it, try it. No. You're right here. Right. In focus and go, here. Yeah. Would you like to try it? And what's our best selling pro? Taste it. There you go. There you go. Now I can shut up. Right. You can taste it. No, P&G, I mean, obviously we have a lot of superior products compared to competition, but we're doing a lot more in this force for good area. Yeah. We want to be a force for good and a force for growth in the world. But what we also like to talk about, or what I think we ought to maybe talk about more, is how do we walk before we talk on the force for good front? Right. And I think that relates to what you were saying, which is just do the good work. Do the good work, be the force for good, and then maybe talk about it to get others along for the ride. Yeah. Well, look, what, is, what has been the trend of companies for, I don't know, you'd know better than me. Maybe it's, I say, I'm guessing 10 years, maybe it's 15, maybe it's more. Um, there's a charity component. 10% of the sale goes, so, 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 so. Mm-hmm. it's almost, it's like written into everything now. So, and then the next move is, you know, we're going to be a lifestyle. We're going to be your whole lifestyle. The next move is, we're going to be your religion. <laughs> now, that's when I started going, hang on. I just wanted a bottle of bourbon. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't need a lifestyle change. Yeah. I didn't want a new religion. Right. People do it, and I've seen them, because I've been with people that started companies that just put the philanthropic thing attached to it because, oh, that's what everyone does. I'm like going, do you even know what that what it is? Do you believe in that? No, it doesn't matter. Just trust me. This The generation now wants to see that you're giving back, that it's sustainable, but it's become sort of a, it's not a box to check. Yeah, it shouldn't be. It, should, it shouldn't be. It d- doesn't need to be. And I, and I think people can start to smell through that now, too. Again, go back to the authenticity. You know, 
everything now, what else do we have? Everything's an amendment, new and improved. An amendment is not always an improvement, but right. we build things not to last so you can update them again. And damn it, if that mobile device company keeps changing my outlet and I have to change every other outlet <laughs> in my place, cut it out. Oh you know God. what I mean? If that happens but again. they're geniuses at it. Yeah. <laughs> they keep doing it. You know what I mean? Um, but you make a lot of money reacting. You make a lot of money reacting. Can you be legendary reacting? Maybe in your bank account, not on your soul's account, mm. not on the ethos account, not on the mission statement account. Right. And I think that leads into what you're talking about, where are you doing some good? Yeah. And how do you define good? And doing good is worth propagandizing. It's worth soliciting. I really am into what are products, what are marketing campaigns, what is good propaganda that can inspire people to engage with their own capacity to have greater self-determination over the health of their mind, body, and spirit. Mm. This is the new frontier. Pointing to your head for those who can't see math. Yeah, yeah, that's where the future lies. That's where it's going down or going up, so to speak. Right. It's, it's a hard, it's a hard uh, difficult spot to define, but there's no reason that uh, a good product can also be good for us. Yeah. So I wanted to ask you this question to conclude. As you reflect back on the decades past and you set aside the path, you know, the what happened, mm. the choices you made, what do you think it was inside of you, in you, that made all the difference? Belief, trust, risk. Um, I like to know why I won. I like to know why I lost. I like to know how I won. I like to know how I lost. I hate wondering what if. Mm. That keeps me up at night. The not wanting to think what if, is it more about what path you chose? Or is it more about once you chose the path, what if I didn't dive in? What if I didn't yeah. give this my all? What if I didn't do this with passion? Second. Yeah. It's the second. It's the second. Look. Anyone who reads this book ought to realize that about you. And I, I think it's, it's something we can all learn, honestly. Put on your shoes, man. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. That's it. Just lace them up and go find out. Right. Yeah. Well, that's a good way, I think, to end. I have to ask you, do you, uh, do you read any of your Amazon reviews? I haven't. No? There, there's a hilarious five-star one that I read yesterday. And the guy's like, he loves the book, changed his life but you got the title wrong. I'm sure you've heard this one before. Uh-uh. He's like, it shouldn't be called green lights. It should be, I ride, I ride, I ride. <laughs> <laughs> you got to do it, actually. First three words ever said on film, man. Three affirmations for the three things I did have as Wooderson, my man, <laughs> while I was going to get the fourth. I was in my 70s Chevelle. I was listening to Nugent Stranglehold. Slater was riding shotgun, who always had a doobie rolled up, and I was going to pick up one of the four things I love, which was those chips. <laughs> all right, all right, all right. Love it. Matthew, it's been a pleasure talking to you. Thanks for joining the More Than Soap podcast. Enjoyed it. Appreciate you giving us your time, your stories, your insights, and uh, everyone go buy this Green Lights book.
enjoy it, please. I'm glad you enjoyed it so much, man. I really appreciate the way you, uh, you took it and how it landed on you. Well, I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Matthew. One thing I do want to say is that I think my chat with McConaughey, which spanned from leadership to branding to the 80 for the 20 to our PVPs, is a good example of what can happen when you just take the time to sit down and really listen to the wisdom of someone's life experiences. And importantly, someone whose experiences aren't directly tied necessarily to your work plan. We can't assume we know where our insights will stem from. As always, go to www.getmorethansoap.com to learn more about the podcast. Until next time, stay curious. You'd better check and that's our show like what you heard please subscribe and rate us on your favorite podcasting platform for show notes about this episode links to things mentioned or requests for sponsorship visit pgalums.com slash podcast follow us on twitter at pgalumpod we'd love to hear from you learnings from leaders is a production of the png alumni network a global nonprofit founded by former PNGers committed to community, enrichment, and philanthropy. With more than 45,000 registered members worldwide, the network connects alums through global conferences, local chapters, industry events, and online content. Our nonprofit foundation supports economic empowerment communities around the world. To find out more, visit pgalums.com. Now here's a preview of next week's episode. When I think about Africa, we have 1.3 billion people living here, but only about 300 million use the internet with any sort of regularity. So there's a billion people out there that are about to get on the internet. And what's fascinating to think about is what kind of internet they will interact with, what kind of opportunities will they create? How will they solve problems? How will they create commerce opportunities? That's just a really, really profound thought around what this next billion people that will come online, what they will do with the internet. That's it for this week. I've been Roman Segel. And I'm still Andrew Tarvin. Thanks for joining Learnings from Leaders, the PNG Alumni Podcast. We'll see you next time.